please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. We began this passage last week, so there was a part one to this sermon, um, the temple cleansing part one, and so if you, you miss that, you need to go back and listen to that, uh, because this is part two. We sort of looked at the, the 30,000 foot view, we looked at the forest, so to speak, last week, and now we're going to uh, make a low pass and, and, and look at the trees this morning of this passage, Jesus uh, cleansing the temple. Matthew 21, verses 12 through 17. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful thing, the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you have given us the privilege and opportunity to be here this morning to hear your word once again. Lord, to sing your praises once again, to pray to you once again, to gather as your people once again. Lord, to hear the preaching of the word once again, to be reminded of the truths that never change. God, we ask that by your spirit you would work in our hearts this morning, that we would be able to pay attention, that we would not be distracted, that we would focus on your word, that we would focus on what's said, that we would grow in the likeness and image of Jesus Christ by the Word, as you wash us with the pure milk of the Word, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be active in our hearts and minds. Lord, teaching us all that you want us to know from this passage. We pray, Lord, that uh, we would hear from, from you and that we would be changed and transformed, that we would be humbled, Lord, that we would uh, be shown our sin, that we would be delivered from sin, that we would grow in Christ's likeness, that if anyone is here this morning that does not know Christ, Lord, we pray that today would be the day of salvation for them, that today they would be saved. Father, we ask that you would do all this and all that you see fit to do in us. And so, God, let us hear from you. May you be glorified. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen. Two weeks ago, we saw Jesus enter Jerusalem as the long-awaited king who would save his people from their sins. And many there may have thought Jesus came to end the oppression of the Jews by the Romans, 
But Jesus came to save from sin, and the target of his anger, his holy anger, his righteous anger in our text today was not the Roman oppression, but the way that sinful men had perverted the religion of Israel. Jesus came to clean house. He came to clean his house. He's the best house cleaner. And we saw last week, God has been cleaning house from the beginning. We studied the various temple cleansings throughout the Bible last week. We looked at how Eden was a kind of temple cleansing and how Israel being uh, removed from the promised land and their exile was a kind of temple cleansing and Jesus coming to earth was a kind of temple cleansing and that he, Jesus, is the perfect temple and through his death and resurrection, we are made God's temple And Jesus is at work in us, cleansing us. And Jesus is coming back to to finally and fully cleanse us and to finally and fully cleanse the whole world. But as Jesus walks on the scene today in our passage, Israel's religion was full of hypocrisy, fruitlessness, and selfish idolatry. Israel had failed to be and do what they were supposed to be and do. They were to be a light to the nations and bear lasting fruit for the glory of God. And so Jesus comes as as faithful Israel. Jesus comes as true Israel. Jesus comes as the true temple who ushers in the righteous reign of God. He was and is true and undefiled religion incarnate. And for Jesus Christ... Judgment starts with the household of God. And He cleanses God's temple of sin, gives grace to all nations, shows mercy to the weak and needy, and accepts the praises of men as the God-man who comes to save sinners. If you like thesis statements and you need a thesis statement for this sermon, that was it. For Jesus, judgment starts with the household of God, And He cleanses God's temple of sin. He gives grace to all nations. He shows mercy to the weak and needy. And He accepts the praises of men as the God-man who comes to save sinners. Point number one, Jesus cleanses the temple. Look at Matthew 21, verses 12 through 13. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. We looked a lot at the temple last week, but just a quick review. The temple was one of the most magnificent structures in the world at the time. It covered about 35 acres. It even excelled Solomon's temple. The temple was the national and religious center of Israel. This was where God's people came to meet with God. It's where God's presence was manifested to the people in the most intense and intimate way. The temple was where sacrifices were offered to take away the sins of God's people. And in order to have sacrifices, you had to have animals and Many people would come to the temple from far, far away. They couldn't bring the animals with them, so they would have to buy these animals on sight. And this shouldn't be happening in the temple, at the temple, around the temple, but outside the temple grounds. But these money changers uh, were doing this 
in the part of the temple where the Gentiles were able to come and meet and pray. D.A. Carson comments, temple service required provision to be made for getting what was needed for the sacrifices, animals, wood, oil, etc., especially for pilgrims from afar. The money changers converted the standard Greek and Roman currency into the temple currency. And so this is something that had to happen so that sacrifices could be offered, but it shouldn't be happening where it was happening. And Jesus entered the temple... And the first thing I want you to notice about this, that in entering the temple, he's showing that he's the God-man Messiah. He's fulfilling Malachi 3, verse 1. Malachi 3, 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And so Jesus, the Lord, Jehovah God, God Almighty, Malachi 3.1 says, comes into his temple. Jesus is God. Jesus Christ is the Lord and messenger of the covenant who has come into his temple. He is Lord. It's his house. He is God. And Jesus overturns the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. I wonder how many of you, if you came into the temple of God and saw a man picking up furniture and throwing it down, would say, oh, that's Jesus. That's how I assume Jesus would act. I I think most of y'all don't see Jesus that way as throwing stuff down. We need to have a Bible view of Jesus. Jesus overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Verse 12, Jesus drove out all who sold and bought, not just the sellers, but those who bought in the temple, and He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Jesus came to save and cleanse and judge. If you keep reading in Malachi 3, you you see what's going on here. If you keep reading Malachi 3, 2 through 5, but who can endure the day of His coming? And who can stand when He appears? For He is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. This would be one reason I don't like the, the commentators that try to say, well, it's not really the temple cleansing. <laughs> it's something else. Oh, well, it might be that too, but it's the cleansing because that's what Malachi says. <laughs> He's like a refiner's fire, like a fuller's soap. Cleansing. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi, and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages. Again, another reason I don't fully agree with the commentators who say this has nothing to do with money a love of money and cheating people out of money, (laughs) 
Because this is what Malachi says that Jesus is doing against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Jesus came to cleanse the temple like a refiner's fire, like a fuller's soap. He came to cleanse. He came to cleanse. Secondly, beloved, notice that Jesus had righteous anger. Jesus had righteous anger. Being angry about sin is good and right and necessary and pleasing to God. This is the perfect man. This is the man who loved like no man ever ever loved. This is the holy man, the sinless man. And he is angry, throwing down tables, throwing out furniture, turning over tables. It would be wrong not to have righteous anger about sin. Psalm 97.10 says, O you who love the Lord, hate evil. Jesus hated evil. Psalm 119, 136, my eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Psalm 69, 9, for zeal for your house has consumed me. Jesus fulfills. Ephesians 4, 26 through 27, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Jesus was angry and did not sin. Jesus hates sin. And He will cleanse His temple. Jesus not only drew circles, but He drew lines. There's been a lot of talk about that this week because of this false teaching of Andy Stanley, this huge megachurch in Georgia, some 40,000 members. And he has a conference where he invites men who are married to each other to talk about homosexuality. And he said, we draw circles. We draw big circles like Jesus. He welcomed people. And, and praise God for Dr. Al Mohler who responded by writing, Jesus drew circles, but He also drew lines. He drew lines. He said, go and sin no more. He calls people to repent. His Spurgeon has a sermon about Jesus' first and last words, repent. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus drew circles. Yes, He welcomes all to come. Everyone who would come, He says, come. He drew large circles and called people to come. But He also drew lines. And here today in this passage, He draws lines by throwing over tables and furniture and kicking people out. Other Gospels say He made a whip of cords to drive animals and people out. That's my Jesus. Is that your Jesus? I love Jesus. I love everything the Bible says about Jesus. And I don't want to cut him, snip him, and, 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 and cut and paste Jesus to make him who I want him to be. No, I like all of him. 
I like this Jesus. I like the Revelation 19 Jesus that's going to come back with fire in his eyes and a sword coming out of his mouth and the blood will rise for 180 miles up to six or seven feet because he will trample the winepress of the wrath of God Almighty and all of our enemies he will crush and we will rejoice. Come, Lord Jesus. Come and avenge your people. We're not sanctified enough sometimes to pray that way, but we will be. We'll be sanctified someday and we will say, come Lord and crush your enemies for the glory of your justice. I love that Jesus. You should see a lot of things happening in the world today, beloved, that move you to pray imprecatory prayers. Save them or stop them, Lord. And we get that Jesus today turning over tables and drawing lines about sin and righteousness and holiness. And His church needs cleansing. <laughs> his church needs cleansing. It needed cleansing then. It needs cleansing today. We need cleansing. I need cleansing. Pastor Joseph needs cleansing. All kinds of repentance. We all need cleansing. And we should be reminded here, even as we think about Jesus' holy, righteous anger, that often our anger is not sinless. James 1, 19-20, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. And so be careful, beloved, in your anger against sin. Make sure it is a holy and righteous anger Often our anger is not holy like Jesus. And so beware. Beware. And here, Jesus, angry at sin, angry at the desecration of His house and His Father's house, He proclaims Scripture, reminding the Jews the temple was to be a place of true worship. Verse 13, He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer but you make it a den of robbers. In this statement, Jesus is quoting from two places in the Old Testament. We should not unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. Amen. If we do that, we unhitch ourselves from Jesus, who quoted the Old Testament all over the place. We need to be hitched to the Bible. Jesus loved the Bible. He loved the Scriptures. He quoted the Scriptures. He fulfilled the Scriptures. He spoke the Scriptures. He's the Scripture incarnate, the Word in flesh. And he quotes from Isaiah 56 and Jeremiah 7. You'd be helped to look, look here in your Bibles. Uh, Isaiah 56 verses 6 and 7 and Jeremiah 7 verses 1 through 11. Again, this sort of gives us a flavor for what Jesus is upset about after he overturned the, the tables and, and drove them out. He says, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And he's Quoting first Isaiah 56, 6-7, And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord and to be His servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast My covenant, these I will bring to My holy mountain and make them joyful in My house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on My altar. For My house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. 
And so this was to be a place of, of prayer and praise where God would meet with his people and, and, and they would come and love him and, and they would keep his covenant and they would be made joyful by God in prayer and praise. They would offer their sacrifices that point to the Lamb of God and, and, and these money changers were desecrating this and keeping this from happening. And Jeremiah 7, 1 through 11, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, reform your ways and your actions. I will let you live in this place and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, another reason I don't agree with the commentators who try to write off any kind of corruption in dealing with money, the context of what Jesus quoted talks about that. Uh... Uh, deal with each other justly if you don't oppress the alien. If you do not oppress the alien. The fatherless or the widow and do not shed innocent blood in this place. And if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place in the land I gave your forefathers forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say we are safe? Safe to do all these detestable things? Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? There's the quotation Jesus quotes. But I have been watching, declares the Lord. Notice what they're doing. They're, they're living in sin and then coming to the temple and saying we're safe. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. As if they can, they can live however they want in adultery, in sexual sin, in, in oppression, in stealing, lying, and oh, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. And they come to the temple and think they're okay, they're safe. They've been living like the devil, but then hoping in the temple and claiming that God forgives them. And then they just go out and do it again. They don't change. They keep living in sin. And Jesus came to clean house about that. The temple was to be a place of prayer and praise to the one true living God, but those in the temple had perverted this. They are disobeying God and His commandments and claiming the temple as their refuge when they don't know God, love God, or intend to follow His precepts and commandments. And their focus was not on prayer and praise of God, but on money changing. What, what was the sin of the money changers and buyers in the temple? Again, notice he didn't just drive out the money changers, but the buyers. 
Jesus calls them robbers. They are rebels or insurrectionists with a nationalistic pride that excludes other nations. They had turned a place of prayer and praise and the worship of God into a place of money-making and self-righteous pride. They're robbing the nations of worship. They're robbing the nations of worship of the true and living God and they're trusting in a building and religious rituals and an ethnic identity for salvation instead of in God alone. They're making money and corruption replace the pure, holy worship of God. They're hypocrites. They're hypocrites claiming to know God and love God and come to the temple and praising Him with their words, but their hearts are far from Him because they're living in absolute disobedience to Him when they leave the temple. They're hypocrites. They're, they're all about making money as many of the prosperity teachers are on TV that are about making money. Beloved, see how their sin is in such great contrast to Jesus Christ. These sinners that Jesus drives out, they take and take and take with a focus on self. But Jesus gives and gives and gives and totally dies to self. He literally dies on a Roman cross. See the contrast? May, may we follow Jesus in this. May we die to self and be givers, not takers. The Bible tries to tell us it's more blessed to give than to receive if we'd only believe Him. Jesus tries to tell us, store up treasures in heaven. What you do in this life echoes in eternity. Store up those treasures in heaven. I want to love you in that way. I want to help you know that. I want to help you do that so that you have the best eternity you could possibly have. Tim Tebow's wife spoke at uh, the dinner we went to to raise money for Hope Pregnancy. I loved her talk. It was so good. She was talking about Jesus all the time. She shared the gospel. She handed out gospel tracts afterwards. And the way she motivated us to give was storing up treasures in heaven. That there's rewards that people want on earth, and, but she was saying the rewards in heaven are better. She talked about her son, Tim, who knew that when he did that pro-life Super Bowl commercial, he would lose all his sponsors and all that money. And he did. He lost it all. But he said Jesus is worth it. And she motivated us to give to Hope Pregnancy Center by reminding us, when you give, you're storing up treasures in heaven that you'll enjoy forever. And yet we want all this stuff on earth right now that's going to be taken away from us in 80 years. Oh, beloved, store up treasures in heaven. Believe the Bible. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus is a giver. But we're so often takers. Unbeliever, Unbeliever, the only way that you can die to self and be a giver and not a taker is to first see yourself for who you really are. You are a taker, unbeliever, in so many ways. You take God's glory that He deserves for yourself. 
You are selfish. You are proud. You are arrogant. I may have never met you, but I know that about you. I was at a wedding one time and I preached a sermon. And I'm going to tell people the gospel at a wedding. <laughs> and I talked about the bride and the groom being sinners. And afterwards, this friend of the groom came up to me, a little bit tipsy maybe, and got a little bit mad and said, why are you calling my friend a sinner? You don't even know him. Because I know the Bible, sir. And the Bible says you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, he's a sinner. He's an unfaithful, wicked sinner who needs a Savior. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says we've all sinned against God. We've all broken His laws and commandments. We've been takers. We want for ourselves and want for ourselves and want for ourselves. That's how we're born. And we steal God's glory. We steal God's worship. We steal God's money for ourselves. And that's sin. And rebellion against God. And, and because of that, we deserve God's punishment in hell forever. Friend, if you're here outside of Christ, you are under God's wrath. God's wrath abides upon you. And He will cast you into hell forever where He will hate you and punish you and torture you forever and ever and ever in His wrath and judgment. And there will be no escape. After a billion years... There will be, you'll be no sooner to the end than when you first began. Think about hell. It is a terrifying reality. There is no escape ever, ever, ever. That's what you deserve, sinner, because of your rebellion against the infinite holy God. That's what I deserve. It's a happy day when I remember that. <laughs> if I have a bad day, remember what you deserve, Joseph. All you deserve is hell. But why do I not get that? Why can you escape from that? Because Jesus loves sinners. God loves sinners. And so He did something so that we don't go there. He, he, he did something to, to save us from our sins. Namely, He sent Jesus into the world, the God-man. The one who is fully God and fully man, who lived a perfectly obedient life and, and is a giver, not a taker. Gives and gives and gives and gives until He dies. And He died on that cross and suffered that hell that you and I deserve. That, that infinite hell he, he took upon Himself in six hours because He's the infinite God-man. And He quenched the fires of hell for all of His elect people. All of His chosen people. And He died on that cross and was buried. But He didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. He rose alive. He, he conquered sin, death, and hell. And, and, and as one has said, his, his resurrection is the amen to, to His, it is finished. And so if you turn from your sins today, friend, no matter what you've done, no matter how, how much you've taken part in these sins that Jesus is angry about, if you've, you've been sexually immoral, no matter how sexually immoral you've been, maybe, maybe you've, you've committed homosexual sin or lesbian sin, maybe you've been transgender, maybe, maybe you've, 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 you've murdered someone. Nobody knows about it in our church. But you killed somebody when you were in your 20s. You never told anybody. Maybe you're addicted to pornography. Maybe you're cheating people out of money. Maybe you're cheating God out of money. 
If you repent and you turn from your sins and you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. No matter what you've done, how bad you've been, if you trust Jesus, you will be forgiven. And He'll take all your sins, past, present, and future, and cast them behind His back and remember them no more. He'll cast them into the depths of the ocean floor as far as the east is from the west. So will He remove your transgressions from you if you simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And He'll put His Spirit in you. And He'll begin to clean up your act. And you'll begin to love what He loves and hate what He hates. And you'll, you'll begin to want to follow Him. And you'll love His Word and love His people and love His commandments and, and, and seek to follow Him. You won't be perfect. You'll still sin. You'll still battle with sin. But you'll hate your sin and you'll fight your sin. And you'll, you'll want to grow in Christ. And He has good works prepared for you to do. And His Spirit will work in you and ensure that you walk in them. Friends, that's the good news of the gospel. And we want you to believe in Jesus. We want you to trust Him today if you haven't. I'll be here. Uh, uh, other Christians are here. If you haven't trusted Jesus, please find one of us. Talk to us. We want to pray with you. We want to talk to you. We want you to trust Christ and be saved. And as Christians, we too must be careful not to trust in religious rituals for our salvation or ethnic identity for our salvation or anything else for our justification except Jesus Christ alone. We, we don't want to be like these uh, Jews, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. I'm going to live any way I want, but then I'm forgiven in Jesus. Well, we are forgiven in Jesus if we trust in Him by faith alone, but if we trust in Him by faith alone, our lives are going to change. Our lives are going to change. We're new creatures in Christ. We have new loves, new desires, new ambitions. We love Him and we want to serve Him. He transforms us. He delivers us from sin. And we grow in Christ because He has justified us. Beloved, notice that Jesus fulfills Zechariah 14.21 in this passage that says, that says, there shall no longer be a traitor in the house of the Lord of hosts on that day. Jesus moves out all the traitors. The Messiah has come. The Savior is here. Beloved, we should be reminded as we read this passage to worship God and pursue Him in a pure and a godly and a biblical way. We should be reminded to worship God and pursue Him in a pure and a godly and a biblical way. What does that mean? Well, I, I thought of at least four things. Number one, we should worship God according to His Word. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. We, we want to worship by the book. What we do during this service and in all of life, because all of life is also worship, should be governed by the book. When we're here, we want to preach the Bible. We want to read the Bible. We want to pray the Bible. We want to sing the Bible. We want to trust and obey the Bible. And we want Jesus Christ and His finished work to be the center of it all. 
And so our worship should be according to the Word of God. Second, we should worship God from the heart. Matthew 15.8 says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. We want hearts near to God, satisfied in God, hearts that delight in God above our chief joy. We can't live like the world and come to church and think we're safe. God calls us to repent. Three, we should worship God with reverence and awe. With reverence and awe. Hebrews 12, 28-29, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. We don't have pastors zooming in on zip lines with smoke machines. We, we, we probably don't have the kind of music and choirs that many of you are used to. We're not here to entertain you. Watch the Disney Channel for that. Probably actually don't watch the Disney Channel. We're not here to entertain you. We're not here to try to mimic the world with our music. We're here to be countercultural. We're here to make people bored who ain't born again. Mark Dever said, pray so much in your service that people aren't born again get bored. We're here to bore people who ain't born again with long sermons and old hymns. We want you to worship in reverence and awe. We're talking about God Almighty. We're not talking about your homeboy. Pray that God would show you what it means to worship Him in reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. We should worship God in all that we do. Number four, we should worship God in all that we do. There is a special kind of worship we're doing now that is corporate worship and, it, and it's special, set apart for God in, in that way. But, but all that we do is to be worshipped. Moms, changing the diaper is to be worshipped. When the the Christian trash collector collects trash, it's to be worshipped. When the plumber is is, is fixing the toilet, it's to be worshipped. All of life is worship for the Christian. Whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, we're to do everything for the glory of God, the Bible says. And so in everything we do, we will be conscious that we do it before the face of God. We, we do it for His glory. We do it for His honor. And when we do it in the name of Jesus for His glory, it, it gives God glory. He's pleased when you change a diaper for the glory of God. All of life is to be worship to show that God is who is most valuable. Beloved, be reminded to worship God and pursue Him in a pure and godly and biblical way. Number two... Jesus, point number two, Jesus shows love and compassion and heals the blind and the lame. Look at verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to Him in the temple and He healed them. 
The law did not allow the blind and the lame to offer sacrifices in the temple. Leviticus 21, 18 through 21, No one who has a blemish shall draw near a man blind or lame, or one who has a mutilated face or limb too long, or a man who has an injured foot or an injured hand, or a hunchback or a dwarf, or a man with a defect in his sight, or an itching disease or scabs or crushed testicles. No man of the offspring of Aaron, the priest, who has a blemish shall come near to offer the Lord's food offerings. But beloved, notice what Jesus does. He, he kicks out the people who so-called belong and He brings in the people who don't belong. He does draw circles. He does. He draws lines too. But he, He's drawing a circle. He's bringing in those who, who, who don't belong. Jesus is the true and better Israel and the true and better temple. Whereas these money changers, these money changing robbers were excluding the nations, Jesus was calling the nations and the outcasts and the blind and the lame and the poor and the needy to Himself. Beloved, do you, do you, or, or, or visitor here, do you feel like an outcast? Do you feel unwanted, unloved? Do you feel alone? Well, Jesus wants you. Jesus wants you. That reminds me of a story one pastor told. He was at a True Love Waits conference. True Love Waits conference where they try to get young people not to have sex until they're married. And that's good. That's a good thing. Uh, but this particular speaker did it in a bad way. And he had a, he had a, a, a white rose, a beautiful, pristine white rose. And he threw it out to the crowd of all these young people. And he said, pass it around, pass it around. Everybody pass it around. Touch the rose. And, and, and then the guy went on a tirade about sexually transmitted diseases trying to scare young people not to have sex until marriage. And then and he says, where's the rose? Where's the rose? And he got the rose back and it was all busted and tattered and, and brown and nasty. And he said, if you've had sex outside of marriage, this is what you are. You're a dirty rose. And who wants a dirty rose? How do you end that way? Exactly. Jesus wants the dirty rose. And he went to the Bible and he, and he, and he read about J Jesus' love for the, the woman who was a sinner and, and how she, 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 she knew she sinned much and so she loved much and, and she'd been forgiven much and so she loved much and how Jesus loved her and accepted her and cared for her. Yes, Jesus wants the dirty rose. If you feel like a dirty rose this morning, Jesus wants you. Jesus came for you. He, he didn't come for the righteous. He came for sinners. He came for the ones nobody else wants. And Jesus wants you. You see His compassion and love here as He healed the blind and the lame. He is the healer. He's the one who makes blind eyes see and makes lame people walk. Jesus wants you. No matter what you've done, Jesus wants you. D.A. Carson said, Most Jewish authorities forbade any person who was lame, blind, deaf, or mute from offering a sacrifice, from appearing before Yahweh in His temple. But Jesus heals them, thus showing that one greater than the temple is here. He Himself cannot be contaminated. And He heals and makes clean those who come into contact with Him. Beloved, Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28-30, Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. He will not turn you away. 
Point number three, the religious leaders are very angry about Jesus and His wonderful deeds and the praise He receives. Look at verses 15 through 16. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that He did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna, the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to Him, Do you hear what these are saying? Beloved, notice the chief priests and the scribes were blind to who Jesus is. These are the religious leaders. These are the experts in the Scriptures. They, they, they knew the Scriptures. They had vast amounts of Scripture memorized. They were the experts of the law. And yet they miss Jesus. It's like Heidi commented on Wednesday night. We must not only know our Bibles, but rightly interpret our Bibles. John 5, 39-40, Jesus said to these Jews, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about Me, yet you refuse to come to Me that you may have life. It's not enough to read the Bible. It's not enough to read the Bible. It's not enough to memorize the Bible. We've got to rightly understand the Bible. Trust the Bible. And obey the Bible. And see Jesus from Genesis to Revelation as the center of the Bible. They missed that. And, and they, they didn't want Christ. They didn't want God. They wanted their own religion that they took pride in. John eleven forty eight. If we let Him go on like this, everyone will believe in Him and then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. They didn't care about God. They didn't care about holiness. They cared a lot about their place and their position and their religion that they trusted in, even though they lived however they wanted to live. They're angry and indignant about Jesus and what He's doing. And they, they were blind. But, but notice the children knew Jesus is the Son of David who alone can save. The children got it. They were crying out, Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna, remember, please save us. Jesus is the Son of David. He's the promised anointed King. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior who would sit on David's throne forever. And He alone saves. The children got it. They got what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one cometh unto the Father except through Me. They got it. The religious teachers and leaders didn't. Notice, Jesus does wonderful things. <laughs> They're angry about Jesus and His wonderful things He's doing. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that He did. Beloved, Jesus does wonderful things. Remember in John 7.46, the officers heard Him and said, no one ever spoke like this man. When, 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 when Jesus healed the paralytic in Mark 2, we read, He rose and immediately picked up His bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. In Luke 7, when Jesus raised a man from the dead, the dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him to His mother. Fear seized them all and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited His people. When Jesus stood up on the boat that was about to kill all the disciples and said, peace be still, and immediately the storm hushed. Mark 4.41 says, they, the disciples, were filled with great fear. 
and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? Yes, Jesus does wonderful works. And sadly, these religious leaders hate Him for it. They're indignant. The religious leaders were blind to who Jesus is, but the children see. Remember, Jesus spoke about children about two chapters ago. Two or three chapters ago, Matthew 18, 1 through 4. And at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Beloved, the children get it. They see. The religious leaders, the experts in the Scripture, they miss it. We must turn and be like little children. What does that mean? We must turn from this desire to be the greatest. We must turn from trusting in ourselves and in everything except God. We must turn from pride. We must turn from wanting to be God and having things our way. We must be born again. We must repent. It means we must realize we are utterly dependent on God and we must utterly depend on God. It means we must humble ourselves like Jesus and take the lowest place. It means we must die to the desire to be great. We must die to the desire to be important and significant. We must be willing to be rejected and despised. We must be willing to take the lowest position to be unknown. We must become like children. The children get it. The leaders don't. The children see who Jesus is because God shows them to see. Remember Matthew eleven twenty five through 26? At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, yes Father, for such was your gracious will. There's predestination. There's election. There's Calvinism. It's Jesusism. I don't need Calvin. It's Jesusism. I'm a Jesusist. Jesus teaches this. Do you see that? Do you see predestination, election, sovereign election? God chose to reveal it to the children and to hide it from others. Friend, if you're here this morning and you know Jesus, it's not because you were good enough, smart enough, and you just figured it out. It's because God graciously revealed it to you and chose to open your eyes to see the truth. It's sovereign grace. Sovereign grace. Grace. Praise God for His grace. And the final point, point number four, Jesus receives the praise that only God should receive. Jesus receives the praise that only God should receive. Look at verses 16 and 17. And Jesus said to them, so Jesus is now answering these indignant, angry uh, 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 religious leaders, uh, yes, have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Jesus here rebukes those who should know better. Have you never read? Again, beloved, you got to understand what this means in that context. I mean, this, <laughs> this is like telling, this is like saying to a mechanic who's been fixing cars for 30 years, do you, have you never used a wrench? That's pretty insulting. Go down to Glace Brothers, this guy's been fixing cars for years, and say, have you never ever even used a screwdriver? Have you seen a screwdriver, buddy? How's that come off? 
or, 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 or saying to, 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 to someone in, in the army, have you never used a rifle? Or, 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 or going to a farmer who's been farming for 50 years, have you never planted seed in your life? That's how Jesus talks. That's Jesus. That's the most loving, humble, godly man who's ever lived. Have you never read to those who have read a lot and studied the law? That's their life is to study and know the law. Have you not read? I love Jesus. No man ever spoke like that man. So Jesus rebukes them that they should know better. And Jesus shows that Psalm 8 is about him. Look at Psalm 8, 1 through 2. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise or ordained strength. Beloved, Psalm 8 is about God. It's about praising God. It's about worshiping God. It's about talking about how great God is. And Jesus says, it's about me. Put your t-shirt on. Brandon's got his own. Jesus is God. Amen. Spread the word. Tell the world that Jesus is God. D.A. Carson comments, the children's hosannas are not being directed to God, but to the Son of David, the Messiah. Jesus is therefore not only acknowledging His Messiahship, but justifying the praise of the children by applying it to Himself, by applying to Himself a passage of Scripture that's applicable only to God. Jesus receives worship and praise that is only fit for God to receive. What does that say about Him? It says that He's God Almighty. And Jesus is worthy of this praise because He is God and because He was slain in our place. Jesus was made a robber on the cross. Jesus is driving out the robbers in the temple, he became a robber so that you and I could be saved. Remember when they came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Matthew 26, 55. At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. And then... Who was Jesus crucified between? Two robbers. Matthew 27, 38-43 Then two robbers were crucified with Him. One on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided Him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked Him, saying, He loved others. He cannot save Himself. He is, the king. he is the King of Israel. Let Him come down now from the cross and we will believe in Him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver Him now if He desires Him. For He said, I am the Son of God. And then Jesus died. And we read in Matthew 27, 50-51, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up His spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split, thereby showing that Jesus opens up, opens up the Holy of Holies, opens up access to the presence of God to all who would come to God through Christ. 
Beloved, that's why we pray in Jesus' name. Jesus doesn't like to be taken for granted. The only reason we can pray to God and He'll hear is because of Jesus. That's why when I pray, I say in Jesus' name, Amen. Jesus is the true and better temple. Jesus is the true and better sacrifice. Jesus is greater than the temple because the temple is where God dwells, but Jesus is God who does not dwell in temples made by human hands as though He needed anything, gives to all men life and breath and everything. The heavens of heavens cannot contain Him, let alone a man explain Him, says Dr. Lockridge. Jesus is greater than the temple because the temple is where the sacrifice took place, but Jesus Himself is the sacrifice of all sacrifices who alone can take away the sin of the world. Jesus is greater than the temple because the temple is where people pray, but Jesus is the God to whom people pray to. Jesus is greater than the temple because the temple divided ethnic groups like Jews and Gentiles, but Jesus died and rose again to make all peoples from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation one in Christ. Jesus is greater than the temple because people could come to the temple and remain in their hypocrisy and sin, but those who come to Jesus by faith alone will turn from their sin and follow Him. They won't remain in their hypocrisy if they truly come to Jesus. Jesus is greater than the temple because the temple was destroyed to never rise again. But Jesus was destroyed on that cross and rose again on the third day never to die again. Jesus is greater than the temple because people come to the temple for mercy, but Jesus is greater mercy, greater grace, greater love, greater compassion, greater holiness, greater justice, greater truth, greater perfection, greater beauty, and greater glory. Jesus is greater than the temple because the temple is fallen down and gone, but Jesus is alive forevermore to make intercession for us and to keep loving, to keep helping, to keep forgiving, to keep strengthening, to keep binding up brokenhearted, to keep drying all of our tears, to keep healing, to keep saving, to keep comforting, to keep giving rest, to keep listening, to keep cleansing, and to keep abundantly satisfying us with the fullness of His pleasures for all eternity. For Jesus, judgment starts with the household of God. And He cleanses God's temple of sin, gives grace to all nations, shows mercy to the weak and needy, and accepts the praises of men as the God-man who comes to save sinners. Jesus is the temple pure and clean who drove the robbers from the scene to grant us grace and peace serene. For God's house, He had great zeal. It ate Him up. He can't conceal passion for justice that he'd feel. God's glory, he won't let them steal. He came the temple's end to seal, for he's the temple who'd reveal his death through murder, pain, or deal. Through resurrection, death repeal, also sinners he could heal and save them from sin's death appeal. To make them righteous, strong like steel, God came as man, the man ideal. Our Christ is all, before Him kneel, then He will fill you all with zeal, for Him alone with longings fill, since He's the glory none can steal. Jesus died for every nation, Haitian, Croatian, and Galatian. He redeems from condemnation every tribe and tongue translation. He makes His family blood relation. He lives for their complete salvation and makes all one a new creation where Christ is all, our sure foundation. The Jewish leaders wanted to kill. They feared their idols Christ would steal. Though He came with pure goodwill, all God's Word He did fulfill. They hated Him with evil chill and had Him killed on Calvary's hill. Yet through His blood that they would spill, He won the battle. What a thrill. So trust Him now in peace. Be still. His glory this whole earth will fill. Yeah. 
all the temple, what a sight, so big and huge, robust with might, is where God dwelt with glory light. Greatest wonder, many write, but oh, there's one who's greater bright. His glory shines a better light. He enters in the cleansing night. Against all sin, he'll win the fight. And though he sometimes comes with fright and doesn't always seem polite, his mercy is here for all contrite. For those who turn from sin outright and trust in Him and all, with all delight. For Jesus died to make you right and rose again to kill death's bite. He's the temple great in might. With fame and beauty out of sight, He'll save you from your dreadful plight and fill you with a pure delight. Christ Jesus is the temple praise. The God-man truth His life conveys. Zeal for God's house He loves, obeys. He toppled tables in a blaze of righteous anger for their craze, for self and all their sinful ways. The temple is for prayer and praise of Him who sent His Son these days to die and rise so we could raise hosannas to our God always. Now every nation to Him praise. He's healer. Wonderful's the phrase that captures what He is. Amaze. All hail, all hail, the King of praise, who is our all, our all always, who saved us from our sinful ways. So He'll forever be our craze. Lord, we pray that would be true of us. We want You to be our craze. We, we, we want to be obsessed with You. We want to be obsessed with Your Word, with Your love, with Your joy, with Your commandments. With all you are and, and all that you've done for us, Lord, we pray you would be our preoccupation and occupation. Lord, we pray that our hearts would be drawn near to you, that we would delight in you. Lord, we pray that through the preaching of your word, as we think about the sins of Israel, we would look at our own lives and we pray, Holy Spirit, you'd reveal to us ways in which we need to be cleansed. Father, help us to hate our sins. Help us to turn from anger. Help us to turn from sexual morality. Help us to turn from selfishness and pride. Help us to turn, Lord, from, from lying and cheating and stealing. Help us to turn from all the sins that we might be given to, Lord. Search our hearts, Holy Spirit. Come in and cleanse Alney Baptist Church. Come and cleanse Pastor Joseph. Come and cleanse all of us in the membership. Come and cleanse us, God. And make us all that you want us to be. Help us to be as holy and righteous and zealous for you as saved sinners can be, oh God. Lord, we need your spirit to do it. Some of us are poor and needy. Some of us are poor and needy. All of us are poor and needy. We can't do it on our own. Lord, help us. Cleanse us. And grant us a zeal for you. Help us worship you aright. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen.